Welcome back to another episode of the Imperfect Pod. This is episode number 45. It's also the one year anniversary and it's also the episode with my dad. It's going to be a two-parter. So there's today, Wednesday, September 30th and Friday, which is the real one year anniversary, October 2nd. So make sure to stick around for both episodes by following and subscribing on all platforms. This was really the conversation that I wanted to have when I started this whole journey about masculinity and manhood. I was able to have it on my birthday and now it's the celebratory episode of the one year anniversary. Things that we talked about included what my dad was like at my age, his relationship with his dad, my grandpa, his approach to fatherhood and his relationship with me. So we really covered a lot of the bases. It really feels like it's full circle this episode. And before we get into the episode, here's a clip I recorded when I was walking home from work one day last October in Toronto, predicting this very moment, this episode with my dad. And if that doesn't tell you something about how much I want to do this episode, I don't know what will. Let's get into it now. I'm recording this in downtown Toronto on October 17th, probably a long time before I actually record this episode, but it was in my mind, so I want to talk about it now, about the real importance that a father has in his son's life, um, and why that relationship is so important. I don't think we give uh, fathers enough credit for what they do for their sons in, in really healthy cases, even though, you know, a lot of the time they don't really um, share their their opinions with one another or or love for one another it, it it does exist and that's really what this episode is there to show is how much a father actually means to his son's life so you know enjoy this interview with my dad okay do you have any questions before we get started mm, no okay you ready i guess we'll see how this works sure we'll see how this goes sure but i'll do my little introduction first okay so today i'm with my dad jeff west my father, father of two two sons, two daughters, husband of Trish West for how many years? 34 years. Um, and this is going to be conversations with my dad. So I have been thinking about this episode since before I started the podcast, which as of the moment of this recording will be the one year anniversary post. One year anniversary podcast. So I started this October 2nd, 2019. This will be posted sometime early October 2020. But we're recording it on my birthday, September 5th, at our cottage. So, oh yeah, this is... I kept convincing myself that this episode was going to be like episode 10, then 20, then 25, then 30. And then I think it will be end up being episode 45. Not 50. No, not 50. It was either going to be episode 50 or the one-year anniversary, but I wanted to do earlier. This is, to me, Dad, going to be the hardest interview I've done it yet. It is not. I think so. <laughs> I don't know. I just it, You were the hardest person for me to ask. Mm. So, and there's going to... Shouldn't be. Well, it shouldn't be, but we'll, we'll get into that later in the episode. Okay. But... Um, I'm going to be grilled. Yeah. Well, not grilled. But we're gonna. It's gonna be good. We're gonna have conversation. Um, but obviously, you don't get let off the hook with my first question that I always ask my guests: is who is one person, dead or alive, that you'd like to have over for dinner, and what would you cook for them? Okay. Yeah, you've given me lots of time to think about it, so it's been difficult. And there's lots of different people I'd liked to interview, or I should say, have for supper. And the one I guess I was thinking just recently is. Uh, President Carter, Jimmy Carter. It just struck me. I thought, oh, I'd like to have him for supper, him over for dinner. Why? Uh, well, he's obviously a senior to me. He'd be like my parents' age. And I remember him as the president. And I've also read the book. I can't remember which one. It is his biography. I, I can't remember the title. But in the book, I, I just realized how difficult it was and how much work and perseverance he put into, he was a peanut farmer. So he was not a famous person. He was not from lineage. He actually was from, I'm not sure, well, he wasn't from wealth, but he was from regular income, middle class probably. 
but he really worked hard and he was an underdog all the way through and he actually did it so that's hard that's a difficult achievement and he also is a christian man who has his own principles strong principles so we always think of politicians not in that light so much and so i just thought wow he actually did come through and he let's say behaved very well as a president he and like any other president he had never done this job before so it's like being a father it's your first time to do that when you you don't get practice to become a father you just if you decide to have children you become a father and there's no turning back and so anyways he became president and he actually did a reasonable job probably not the best but he was not in easy times as well and so i just thought oh i really and not so much then but now so now i'm older i realize okay now i appreciate uh a lot about him mm. and so uh and now he's 90 something and he's come through lots of uh, good times and bad times and he's still got a smile on his face and he uh, he's a democrat so he's more liberal in some ways yet as a christian usually they, they're often republican of that's usually what they would say they most uh, republican or christian uh, leaders would say never almost never say they're democrat mm -hmm. as far as i know but uh he was that de democrat and a very interesting person what year years was he president i'll say the 76 to 80 ish something like you that. Only had one term yes because then something happened i'm just trying to remember the specifics but in iran uh there was a basically i think iran that's ayatollah khomeini they he came to power then it was really a difficult time because they had iran prior to that point had been a very liberal country and the shah of iran was actually a wealthy person with not strong uh islamic ties and so that's why the overwhelming power of the islamic forces there basically shooed him out of the country. I don't think they took his life, but they I think they shooed him out of the country aggressively, and then that's when you had a complete changeover. And with that, they took over the U.S. Embassy, and there was, a, I forget the number of hostages. It's almost 200, let's say. And so the hostage crisis was famous of the time, and Jimmy Carter was unfortunately the guy caught in most of that. He took the fall. And he wasn't what you'd call a militant leader as an American. Uh, he wasn't like uh, what we're used to seeing in the States as leadership. But he was a strong leader. It was just that you had to almost be dictatorial to take, over, take on this reg regime. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was that's when the elections around that time, and that's when um, Ronald Reagan and he's Republican, was Republican, and he was speaking the, the tough language of America. And he just said, I'm going to fix those guys. We're going to come and we'll come yeah. and get you guys. And in all that, Canada had a relationship with some of that. They snuck through the Canadian embassy or something. That's how they got out. But Reagan and whatever he did in the military, probably they uh, really, really pushed to get them out. And so that's why he got voted in because he was a strong president as far as most Americans would have said and so that's why they voted him in mm. I think that's all I remember about how it went but that's the gist of it okay. so but yeah. I always and especially now appreciate Jimmy Carter because you know I think he just does he's a he's like grandfatherly now yeah and um I think he's had brain surgery or he's had cancer. He's had a lot of different things, even in recent times. And they were just shocked that he'd actually come through. But he's still. So he's probably the oldest past president right now that's still alive. And he still makes sense when he talks. He's not got, you know. <laughs> Better than Biden. <laughs> well. <laughs> we won't get into that. I don't know about him, but, he, you know, he. I think he... A lot of people have still asked, would you be president yeah. <laughs> for a 90-some-odd-year-old? And he just laughs. But uh, yeah. 
he still can think straight. So that's great. I was going to say, um, what am I going to feed him? No, no, no. Uh, well, yeah, we'll talk about that after, but I was going to say, uh, yeah, try to keep your hands off the table and, um, oh. cause it might catch it. You can't really hear it with the, this, but, and then if you touch the wire, it might be, I've been told that that also can create some feedback. So okay. it's better to keep your hands. I'll sit on them. That. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, what would you feed him? Um, I would just say stir fry. I can do a stir fry. Not too badly. Uh, did I we talk about that earlier or? Because I, I was going to say that you were going to say stir fry. Oh, did I? No, well, <laughs> um, that's kind of one of my go-tos. And you can actually, if a person's sitting in the kitchen while you're getting it ready, you can still work on the stir fry and talk. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't, you're not going in and out to the barbecue or something like that. You can just work on the stir fry and put it all together and it's healthy. And uh, even if a person says I'm vegetarian, you could keep meat out of the stir fry. So there's a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that. Perfect. And now getting into some of the real questions. What were you like at my age? I'm curious. I'm 24 now. So I am i don't know if we've ever talked about I knew what you were like when you were kind of a teenager, but I'm interested in hearing what you were like mm. at 24 specifically, if you if you can recall. For sure. You can always recall your own age or time frames, uh, unless you don't want to recall them. <laughs> but I was a tough guy then. No, actually, I was a I had, let's see, let me just think. I wasn't popular in high school or, and I didn't go to university, but uh, I went straight to 3M, worked there full time. And I was, when I was like 20, I'll say 21, uh, a friend of mine that was, he wasn't what you call a fitness freak. He was just a fitness guy. He stayed in shape. And I'd never known anyone personally that was close to me that took uh, working out, um, not seriously, but it was like his, it was just how he, his routine. He just, he wanted to stay in shape. So he did, we went, and I hung, started hanging around with Dan and this guy, he, part of his routine would be, you know, he worked as a guy in a grocery store. Actually, he worked as a produce manager, I'll say in mm-hmm. a, a store. And so, but on the side, he would, we would go to Fanshawe college in London and we would use their weight room. And Dan was in pretty good shape, so he could do everything. He was used to it. For me, it was kind of new. I just hadn't thought of working out. And so I started doing that. He also ran, but just enough to stay in shape. So he had, he was in good shape. And so I thought, gee, I could run. I've never thought of actually running. So I started running. Mm -hmm. And then it was kind of one of those aha moments when I, not only did that, but when I started running, I was just wearing in those days, we're talking 1980-ish, flat bottom running shoes. They aren't great for running, jogging in. So I didn't know that. I just had those kind of shoes, basic running shoe. Then one day I thought, oh, I could buy some Pumas or some sort of actual jogging shoe. And I put them on and I thought, these are like pillows, running on pillows. And so when I started running in those, I actually started to love running. Mm. And so I became a much better runner than Dan was because he didn't take it that seriously. I kind of just You've went got the build for it. And I was legs. taller, slimmer, and I was losing weight and, and getting in shape. And so the whole thing worked out really well. So, uh, so the early 20s, all of a sudden, I didn't become a popular person, but I just became, you know, a more... Confident? Confident, maybe. Maybe that's what it was. And so with that, you hang out with a guy who, and then our friends, we were just in a, it was, he'd come out of the church group as well, but he, uh, loosely. So, uh, most of my friends were loosely church guys. And so being that they were kind of, you know, one foot in the world, one foot in the church, I would call that. And so with that, they all knew the same church folks guys, people, young people. We had a big young adults kind of group. But then also you have, you know, your work world. And so I worked at 3M and that was a huge company. So it was, I just had friendships there too. And so your world broadens at that age or just before, at least mine did. And then I kind of just, I guess uh, 24, I'm trying to think what year that was, uh, 82. So um, 82, I was just enjoying being a young guy with uh, different friends 
and uh, you know you hang out with girls girl friends and so there was it was a good time and you know when you're getting into shape and uh, I was still working at 3m and I wasn't sure if I liked it as much as I thought but I'm the kind of, I'm not the adventuresome guy who says, gee, I want to quit there and try something else. That wasn't really me. So mm-hmm. I just decided I've been staying there working and what 3M is a big company. So there's opportunity to be mobile upward. And if you really wanted to, you could. And unfortunately, without a university degree, there's not a lot more opportunity. Yeah. But if you show initiative, you could. And I don't really get into too much initiative in some way. So I just thought, uh, I'm not sure. But anyways, that was Snapshot. Snapshot. Mm -hmm. So this is pre-mom, right? Yes. What? Well, I'm curious what your dating life was like or what you, were you a ladies man? Were you not a ladies man? I hadn't been, but, you know, you kind of become somebody more confident, somebody, I don't know. It was... Uh, I'd, I'd gone out with a um, couple maybe before that time. And then during that time, uh, I actually, oh, you know, here's a side thing. In 1980 or 81, Chariots of Fire came out. And so for me, that was an interesting time because it's all about running. Mm. And so that really kicked my running into gear. It was huge because it was a, if you look at the movie the the, the prime runner uh eric liddell or liddell he actually is a christian guy from scotland or he was and this is 1924 so it's almost 100 years ago now of uh, that was the 1924 olympics and he really was an incentive in my mind for being a runner and an upright guy and so i i actually quite liked that but at the time i was going out with a girl uh from 3m mm-hmm. and so it was just you know at 3m i've just there was opportunity to go out with different females and i hadn't I, for some reason it was just uh friendships at that time were mostly 3m work related and so i kind of just uh had done that and then but you know they're they're just it's hard to say how relationships go sometimes. You kind of just tell right at the beginning that this isn't going anywhere, but at least this is kind of nice for the summertime or whatever it is, right? And so... Did you have summertime flings? Um, oh, I didn't aim for that. <laughs> but sometimes that happens because we had a cottage as well. And so youth group could come to the cottage, then you hang out with friends, but you know, you kind of... You're always open to female options. <laughs> Yeah. At, you know, you just, that's the way it is. And as a single guy, you're not sure who you're going to marry. You're not sure if you're going to get married uh, because you think of different things. I mean, being a fit person is only one dimension. What if I'm not that interesting in other dimension mm-hmm. and another dimension? And so I didn't think I was in a lot of ways. And so I just thought, well, you got to play with this dimension so this is the one that works and you know what you can hang out be it with and and be not i wasn't a charmer i'm not really that but i just thought you know what you can hang out and have friendships and um nothing really got very serious at all so but it was just kind of a that phase of life Mm -hmm. so that's interesting i feel like i'm the exact opposite i am not fit but i feel like i have many layers to myself beyond right just being fit well i was i wasn't raised i was raised in a family where it was um easy going non-confrontational and <clears throat> we didn't talk about serious things really openly um sometimes my mom my mother and i did but um really we it was just whatever comes along in life that's where you're at it wasn't like I drove my life forward in any sense. But actually, the fitness running and that helped actually drive something forward. I just wasn't surprised that you could actually do it. But And so that was that phase of life anyways. So I guess in, in follow-up to that, did, have you ever questioned your manliness? Questioned manliness? 
Just yours, not no. alienist as a Actually, whole. I would say no. I mean, because back then I didn't, we, that generation really, as far as I know, I mean, being broad here, but the back in my earlier years, the, the I don't remember anyone talking about manhood, but um, I guess there was always the assumptions manhood is being tougher or not tough. I'm not a tough guy, but you know what? There's a confidence, but there's, it's very hard to explain what manly, manliness or manhood looks like. Um, I just knew men were different than women. <clears throat> so, uh, but the specifics around that is, I don't know. <laughs> we didn't, uh, we didn't challenge anything back then that I can think of, at least not the group that I was hanging around. And I don't remember many people challenging what they thought about concepts of manhood. It, it was sort of the Archie Bunker days and I you probably haven't heard of Archie Bunker but there was Archie Bunker was on uh Three's not Three's Company there was another TV show um anyways and that was he was the father he sat in a chair and he called his son-in-law Meathead and his daughter was too good for the son-in-law as far as he was concerned but um and he was very uh uh outspoken in his views of the day or mm -hmm. ethnicities or whatever he was just and so there was <clears throat> that that generation like that was would have been my dad's generation technically that Archie Bunker was my dad's generation but um that's the kind of father we I would have had my uncles were mostly like that um a lot of men around that were my dad's age were like that and um not completely Archie Bunkerish, but uh but there's elements to that where you never challenge your father and uh, he's an authority figure and you always respect them. And there's just, like I say, even from the generation when I grew up, my grandfather would have said children should be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, that's not, not uh, that was the absolute truth of that. It wasn't like, oh, that's just an interesting quote. No, that's what was actually expected children were seen and not heard so i heard that when i was a kid and that's what you got to the table you heard your older peers parents and grandparents talking you never interrupt them and they <clears throat> they talk uh they're the ones talking you're eating dinner mm -hmm. and they're talking and so things have changed a lot since then <laughs> yes so i guess in regards to that do you feel like you're traditional at all do you feel like you're because growing up with you I wouldn't call you a traditional handy handyman or I don't know like the typical I guess kind of construct of what people would say is the man from your generation mm -hmm. you're kind-hearted you're generous you're very lovely and present with us as kids mm -hmm. which is typically not what is seen of men your age i guess or that's the common stereotype so do you consider yourself masculine or or how do you define you being a man um well for me actually uh probably and i don't know if you have other ch questions in this direction but more when i m met your mom and i knew her family growing up even so i've i've known the brown family even from before i ever dated trish and so um, and it's just ironic. I mean, it's totally the opposite family of my family. Yes. Like almost 180 degrees. So, uh, and it was not planned like that. I mean, it wasn't like I went in that direction. So there's a lot of what I am today that's different because of, uh, that family and, uh, you know, the change, there's a, I mean, you can keep to your ways. A lot of people do, right? So they, my, you know, my family is the right family. My family is the normal family. That's how most of us are raised because if it wasn't, then we, our family would have chosen something different. So that only is logical. So my family obviously thought their style of upbringing, it's just the way that was. And my dad was my dad. He was somewhat overbearing. and But my mom was... She was passive in a lot of ways, but not, in fact, in the home, not so pushed around. It's just that in 
public, it might look more of that style because that's kind of the generational thing. Um, but uh, for me, there's just changes once I, once you start moving beyond. I guess that's it. As I as I look at you guys, my kids, I start to see you changing from the family we had and it's not good or bad it's just the way it is and so and when one day you find a different a, a spouse hopefully or whatever you can you'll start to see there's elements to the new family that they think they were or are normal and i'm using small n normal and it's just that's the way every each family is and so when you're going into a new family, you have to go in seeing it like that. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, then you are resistant maybe. Or or in the other sense, some people embrace the other family because they thought, gee, I was so, I've been so tired of my family. I want this family until they realize somewhere along the line. Actually, this always happens as far as I'm concerned. They gravitate back to what they're family was to some degree if you say i want to escape what my family is you will gravitate back to it because it's just the way it is uh over that's what i have actually mm -hmm. seen in my lifetime is there's elements to me gravitating back to mine but it's harder to explain some of that but and it's not good or bad it's just the way it is as far as i can see and because our familiarity with our upbringing from childhood that is all we knew as ch children. As you get a bit older, like your age, you are now saying you might rebel against what you had. I mean, that's part of it. You could just say, oh, I didn't like this or that about my own family. That's why I'm not doing this or that, or I'm doing something different. But somewhere along the line, you start to realize uh, there's just different options and the one you had might have been pretty good in a lot of ways mm -hmm. not every way but a lot of ways that's a good transition point to talking about your dad um so grandpa who has he's been passed for a while five six seven 2011 years? nine years already mm -hmm. wow so um you talked about transitioning beyond what you had and I know a bit about your relationship with grandpa, not too much because I was, I guess, only 15 when he passed and he'd been in the senior's home for four years. So really like 11 without, with like my memory of right. like seeing your relationship with grandpa. So um, what about yourself did you want to model after grandpa and what parts didn't you want to model after grandpa? Mm. That, those are good. Because uh, there's always something you model after, even if you aren't really wanting to be like someone. Or the other way around, if you're wanting to be like someone, you probably start realizing if you check into who they are, then uh, there's things, oh, I w don't really want to uh, be known for that or associate with that because nobody's perfect. But uh, with my dad, there was some good things. He was a hard worker, uh, much harder worker than I am. Uh, <laughs> But he uh, he did his job. He drove trains. He was an engineer for CN, and he it was a union job. So there was, and he did it for forty years. So he put all of his life into that. He didn't really he didn't really have any other career, uh, really, and so that was uh, good because it became it was like a good paying job. Um, hard work and because of union you could actually get laid off if you weren't if you were in the lower or if things just didn't get busy with work right mm -hmm. uh, that's the way unions are uh, if you have if you're higher up in the union you're going to have your job if you are down lower in the union then uh, you may if they have layoffs you get laid off first uh, and so he was always worried about that I th he seemed to worry a bit I thought too much about having his job but he never lost uh, he never got laid off and there was always work with that. So he, he worried a bit too much. That was kind of a negative. And he was too, I think what I realized, he was too intense about being on time. And now on time is a good thing. Um, but a train, a guy who drives a train has a watch on his lap. And that's why they have these big uh, 
don't know what a pocket watch. Mm-hmm. So he had a pocket watch. I think my sister has it now. And because in a passenger train, you're going stop to stop, and there's a time that you are supposed to be at the next stop, just like the GO train or subway, right? Uh, uh, a train like from London to Toronto has to be at all these different stops at the right time. And as soon as you're late, then people on the platform aren't happy. And those who are in charge of your schedule watching trains, they are saying, pick up the speed, get it going, because you're falling behind. And then if you're too fast, then you have to slow it down because now you're getting to the station too quickly. They actually could get caught for speeding. Trains can get caught for speeding, Mm. technically. And because there's times when, so if there's an accident, they always check all those things. And so my dad, there's a lot of stress driving a train. Just imagine that. And I remember as a boy getting on a train and the diesel. So we're talking the diesel of the train. The diesel is just an engine. So it's like, you know, you think of your car. It has an engine in it, but it's got the body around it. It's got the train, the diesel that you're actually sitting on is just a 100% motor. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's intense. I remember as a boy, you can't even jump to get your foot up to the first step. It's like four feet from the ground. And as a boy, it's like up about your shoulders. You have to get lifted to the first step of the diesel. Mm. And so it was terrifying for one thing. And then it's smelly like grease and oil and all that. And the earth around it is shaking. So it's shaking and as soon as they put on the gas or, you know, the lever forward, that means more power is pushing to pull the train. So this thing, and I don't know how many thousand horsepower or whatever they have. Mm-hmm. And then if you have two or three of those things running, so they're, they're used to this, but we aren't. And I just remember, I thought, you know what? So there's, a, there's an amount of power and pressure to that job. And <clears throat> so... I always found him either getting to work late because he would never leave on time for work. Mm-hmm. He always was late. And so he'd go out in a, in a, so this is what I remember. He'd leave the house and it was never a positive scenario because he was just intense. And sometimes he was called, you know, at four in the morning. He, his shifts, he got, you know, they get the spare board. They, that's a random sort of thing. And that's extra money, which he'd like to make. But at the same time, those are extra shifts and you could get called at four in the morning and then, okay, he's got, let's say, 20 minutes to get down to the train station because in London, it's not that far. But my dad would always be in a last minute panic and everything seemed like a flurry. But uh, and then when he comes home, he's still in a bit of a tense mood because, like I say, there's time frames and I just found him stressed all the time with whatever his work it's always it was steam stressed so i always thought i don't really want a job like yeah. that i didn't want that but you're literally the opposite of well to me it seems you're the opposite of stress and you're the opposite of getting out of the house quickly yes you i probably am rebellious about that yeah is that do you think that's where it comes from for sure part of it um i don't like to be late but i don't like to be early but so you a lot of the time control your schedule yeah, mine's fairly loose. You work so, for yourself. You right. go where you want. Right. When I'm not want. on a, anything like a schedule like that, so I don't know the intensity. It's not like that. And I actually don't allow myself to get like that because I know what that looks like or feels like. It is stressful on the whole home when mm-hmm. you have that person. So he, my sisters were married four years before me, and so, I mean... I almost grew up like an only child because uh, they they were gone, it seemed, by the time I was 15 or whatever it was, 16 maybe. And uh, I think they were, this is my impression, I think they were glad to get married young, just be younger, for, especially, you know, they were just younger. I mean, 21 or whatever back yeah. in those days. So it doesn't happen anymore. <clears throat> didn't happen to me like that either. But, you know, my mom and I were at home. And so we actually, she's relaxed. My mom is a relaxed person. And I didn't, I could tell she didn't like who she was when things were tense like that either. It's just not her personality. But when you're with a person like that, that's, uh, 
it's it's like the oh i'm trying to think of the cartoon character uh that on bugs bunny where the guy wiley not wiley the coyote but there's a guy that does the he turns into a tornado <laughs> oh well, yeah what is his name i, I can't know. remember and he's like a he's a little um the bulldog he, thing? An Austra- he's actually an australian character and i but i just can't think of it now anyways um one of the animals from Australia yeah. is the name of that kind of that character, but for some reason this guy's like a he's just <laughs> you have to see him to see him, but that's how my dad felt like at with those sorts of things. Other times, I mean, he wasn't. If he was relaxed, he was much better. He was. Mm-hmm. It's just that some things in life create those situations for people, and like I say, my family didn't think about things like that. Mm-hmm. And since that time, I've understood you can actually think about my, I can think about my behavior, not yours. I can think about my behavior uh, in any scenario. Sometimes we get in situations where there's panic situations and we behave, you know, whatever, more aggressively or something than we normally do. But your normal behavior, you don't want to be intense. That's Mm -hmm. that's my thinking. Uh, Because it's controlling it's um sometimes oppressive it's uh doesn't have to be you know what if you want to go to work you can say how about i go 10 minutes sooner mm-hmm. it's that simple is, it's not complicated yeah it, uh what about anger because mm. i know that that's been something that or i think that's been something that you've struggled with and mm-hmm. something that grandpa from conversation struggled with uh, I'm curious about that. I'm trying to... Re- I know I used to get frustrated a lot more. I can't remember the last time I've seen you angry, but I remember... When when I was younger, I remember times where you were angry. It wasn't right. wasn't often at all, but when it was, or when it w- did happen, it was shocking, I guess. Yeah. But I don't remember... I, I always found it really interesting because I always thought your anger was valid. Yes. And well, I, I hope so. I felt that in the house the reactions from my two sisters wasn't fair that's something that i always thought because one i always knew that you and mom were gonna stay together and two i believe that i think the same way a lot of the time is that i don't respond the first second third fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth ninth tenth time Mm. but it on the 11th or something i'll get really angry and that's kind of how I saw it within you too. Is and I've recognized that from when I was really young. Is I would just want to snap. I don't right. Like no one ever thinks of me as an angry person. I don't think I get angry that often. But we'll we'll see. Like I think I've. It's usually when, especially young married and with children, that's probably the most stressful time because you're you're working. Your spouse is probably working, um, at least in some form or another. Even if when they're home with the kids, like your mom was home with you guys. Uh, but it's not like she's not doing much. She's busy. And so there's that. There may be less sleep. That was really a tough one if you got more than one child and then one's waking up another or whatever. It's just you're getting less sleep. That's harder. And so there's a culmination of things usually. And other people, you can't pass on your excuses to because they go they don't really care mm-hmm. um and so but uh anyways back to anger yeah usually it would be building and I'm, I'm kind of the it builds and then uh there's a release not necessary blow up maybe there was at times but um that's what happened in my home where my dad was yes he would it was pretty crazy when i was a kid actually and it I'm not even going to say it's like that generation dealt with anger the way they did it. I at least I only know the home I was in, so I'm not going to say I think other homes were fine or, you know, they got anger, but uh, they got through things. But uh, when I was little, for sure, there was really volatile anger in the home. And it's kind of scary as a kid when you're turn when I actually as I got older, I always sided with my mom. I don't know why. Uh, it wasn't like she was innocent, but I mean, I didn't know the conversation. So or I didn't know, I'm not part of what's making 
uh, let's say my dad angry. Well, it didn't seem like my mom was angry, at least initiating anger, but uh, she had to deal with it and handle it, and it wasn't always, uh, she was, she could handle herself, and so she fought back, uh, that's just the way, if not, she would have, you know, I think, I don't know about these days, but, uh, you know, women have more of a voice for sure these days than they did when I was younger. I know that everybody has a voice, and in your home, it's a whole other thing than society, but, um, so my mom had to manage things, and she probably was feeling protective for children or whatever. Maybe that's motherly. But I know, as, so as I got older, and then you get bigger, uh, and siding with your mother, then my dad also had to kind of face me the odd time because I thought, you know what? He, you know, I'm here on her side. Mm -hmm. Because, you know what, we always had very passive conversations all the time like without him around we we had great conversations we had a great relationship and i think there was some jealousy with my dad actually about and, mom your grandma's relationship with you right because we were so much the same we were we and we could talk about things we just i don't know we just didn't get most most things didn't get me worked up and if i did i could talk to my mom and so I guess that's what we did. We talked, which sounds normal for today, but it wasn't, at least in the home so much. My dad, I guess, wasn't raised with that. And there's a lot of, re lot of reasons I understand with my dad's upbringing. And I can't get into all those things. But, you know, he had a tougher, way tougher upbringing from his father. So, you know, the, you go back to generational people where they've been fighting in wars. And those men... You know, there was a lot of damage, and I, I never knew my grandfather on that side, my dad's dad. So um, my dad had a not-so-great upbringing in some ways. Mm -hmm. And like I say, there's a lot to that story. But um, So I didn't really, I, I'm not saying I was critical of my father. I mean, he actually had a lot of good characteristics, and he could be very, my mom used to say he was in the neighborhood when I was a boy, they thought he was the life of the party. Mm -hmm. It was a, a crescent. And so people that were on the crescent, they would have, they were very friendly neighborhood. I wish we'd never left there. I was always, that was my favorite neighborhood. And then we moved to a, uh, the other side of London and I hated it. I told my, I probably told my parents, I hate it because it was nothing like that. It was a busy street. I didn't know anyone. Was You're that not... the same house that we used to visit? Uh, Viscount we... Road. It was oh, okay, not that. So one. I was nine, and I didn't know anybody. And going to a public school, I, it was just that was probably one of the worst times of my life. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sure I told my parents, I hate this. Why did you move here? Because all my friends were the other place, and it was friendly neighborhood. Even the adults. It was just a nice, quiet neighborhood. So that was a bad experience in my life as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah. but um, there's something I was going to say about my mom and dad's relationship. But, um, you know, they worked it through and they were always together. They, you know, they understood each other. They changed over time. Things got better. And uh, I'm glad because I always like to see people change for the better. And yeah. so... Uh, and you hope for that. I hope for that. I remember your quote is, is you expect, um, I can't really remember the context of it, but I remember having a conversation about change and you said, because I think my generation is very caught up with this idea that it's not for me to change. And that's one of the most annoying things to me is that, no, you are supposed to change. That's the whole point of life. And I always remember you saying, I expect people to change. Mm -hmm. like that's one. Your one expectation in life is that people change because change is the one thing that automatically happens to people. Yep. I mean, and for the better. Yes. I know that's kind of a vague, what's better sometimes, but it you can change for better, the better in different elements or parts of your life and you just know it. Mm -hmm. And so healthier, let's say, or smarter, or whatever that word might be, but better is the word I use. And yeah. so, um, and it's amazing because that's what the human capacity is. We actually, humans get to do that. 
other creatures, they don't have that flexibility, but they don't know a dog still goes with vomit. And we all think, oh, it was my, fa- it's my, it's my family dog. And yet it does that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just the way a, a dog is or, you know, different creatures, different things, but humans actually don't have to go back and wallow in their vomit. And I'll tell you on my, this is a side thing. When you watch TV shows that show that a man has to go to a glass of whiskey or a drink to get through whatever he's getting through, I hate that. It's the dumbest thing ever. That is not going to help going to a glass of any alcohol. It doesn't do anyone any good. doesn't probably even calm nerves, but... Um, you know, it's taken control of my life and saying, um, where I can do something, I can do it. I can't do something if another person still doesn't like me. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to change that, but I can do what I can do. And, you know, or I can even say to that person, I'm sorry for doing what I did, but you still have no power over their response, Mm -hmm. but you have the power over your response or your action and or I can't and so that's what I say sometimes I'm too stubborn to do it but I still know in my head that mm-hmm. maybe I should do that and so sooner or later I probably will yeah I agree I don't know I that's one of my biggest things about alcohol and and university students is that they do it when they're sad or you know I, I always think it's the reason why you do something that is the dangerous part for me I don't think I've ever drank in my life because I was sad or feeling a certain way that I felt like I needed it. That's why, that's any substance I've ever had in my life is just like, it wasn't because I felt a certain way. My intent was always, this is for fun, or this is like, it's not to calm my nerves. It's not to get more confident. It's not to do this, which I think is where a lot of addiction settles in is the intent of why you do it. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to talk about what you said is that you always used to side with grandma did you ever see your dad as like a, a hero in your life or someone that you fully wanted to model or cause like when I, whenever I think about your fights with mom, I usually sided with you, but not cause I didn't agree with mom, but in a, it was more fantastic. I, I thought <laughs> and I didn't ever get involved. I never got involved, but I just thought, you know, for this one I'm with dad because I think it's valid because I think one thing that I got frustrated with, is that when I was younger, I never felt my anger was valid. Not that it was okay to be angry, but I never felt like it was valid. Hmm. So I guess, did like, did you ever see your dad as a superhero? Um, I did when I was younger in some ways. I mean, I just thought, wow, this guy can drive this train. That's huge. I mean, as a boy, I thought <clears throat> that was really, you know, as a boy, I actually liked train sets so and some men i probably would be like them today you know men actually grown men have go to um not stores but uh places where they join like a railway thing you know yeah. like a what do they call Group that or whatever yeah i don't even know the name of it but i've gone to my uncle don went to one in london and i went there to this they it's this building and it had a huge model train set like we're not talking single model we're talking dozens and dozens of trains and mountains and you know valleys and all sorts of things and they had them going around and through and they're like small scale like you know there's whatever the model scale is and so when i was a boy i still remember i thought the the cn train was so cool to me the diesel on a cn train is black and white and orange but it's an orangey red color and the, the emblem so if you look at the side of a diesel, it's got an emblem on it. And I just thought it was an emblem. But mm-hmm. as an as a young adult or somewhere along the way, I realized, oh, that actually says C-N. Mm. So it's a C and an N. And I didn't think of that when I was, when I saw that train, I just thought it was, that's what the kind of train my dad drove only on, you know, real scale. Mm-hmm. But I thought they were so cool, even on small scale, like just tiny things, you know, that go around a track of just something very engaging with it. And I always liked it. Uh, but um, so there's an appreciation for that. And, you know, he built a cottage. So my dad planned it 
and actually made it happen like he built it like i always fascinated when people can make something out of your head so this is the image or the thought in my head and now this thought exists as a physical entity mm-hmm. and so that's a an amazing thing to do and so he and it's on sand on lake huron it's still there today we don't own it but uh, my dad built that cottage and he did the plumbing he did the wood he did the windows he did the septic tank he did the well uh, the pump house for the well you got to pump up water from the well he did the driveway the rockery we called it and pounded rocks into the sand and then he did uh, the front uh, you know like a, a little oh, what do we call it at the front of the cottage like a stairway no the the room at the front you know. oh nook kind of thing yeah it's just a nice Sunroof. one and then he he did the addition everything so my dad like that's impressive he just wasn't a good teacher so that was my problem he wanted i was the gopher i would help out because he didn't want us just going up there having fun at the cottage he went up there to do work yeah and so that's not what i wanted up to the cottage for i went up to the cottage to go down to the beach or go fishing or whatever it was we were doing wasn't building a cottage so him and i were not the same yeah (laughs) but but actually to build that it's amazing it's great I actually have that note here is that um, because I I wanted to follow up with that is, you know, he he was a craftsman, built his own cottage, drove his trains. These are typically very masculine things. Right. Did grandpa, did you ever feel like grandpa questioned your masculinity or manhood? Do you ever think he, because Mm. you didn't, you're not a very handy man, at least. Right. I mean, you've taught me how to change a tire, but like, I think that's really the extent yeah. what you've taught me i also have said no to you asking me teach teach me things but right. i think um but did he ever look down or or question your not so much um he i don't know if he looked at it like uh whether it's manly he and i were different he was a union guy i had a non-union job that's that was the thing that stuck out in my mind so i didn't i didn't go down the path of you know, being the the work guy, the blue collar man, uh, the laborer. I I did uh, you know I did some things. Worked in a bowling alley. Did fencing, fence putting up fence uh, for a summer. Right? For a summer, that was hard work. They left I mean, you I hated that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard work, <laughs> and it was brutal. But um, the bowling alley was interesting. Uh, but three um, M was not. It w- it wasn't not interesting. It just wasn't wasn't manual it was, was it an office job or yeah okay even though 3m has a factory at the london plant and the factory workers would have were union and they would have made good money but i never got hired into that you once you're in one side you're in one side you can't go into the i couldn't go from the non-union side mm-hmm. the business side to the union side they just don't do that so i was different than my dad uh, he was union blue collar thought like a blue collar man too and just in all his thinking and whereas uh office or white collar and that's my in-laws side of things they the two don't see each other in positive light because a blue collar guy says you're cutting out my job you're cutting just for the finances just for the money of the business the white collar guy he's saying i you know the business is failing or getting better and so when it's better it's good for the union guys when it's getting worse or you're losing business then you the blue collar person doesn't realize it's not that easy for the white collar fellow to just hack jobs i don't think they're trying to but that's how it works and so the two don't see each other in favorable lights usually because um they and yet white collar, I would give them more benefit of the doubt because they, from what I've seen is they try harder for the union guy. They try to get the business going. They try to make a success of the business. Mm-hmm. The fellow that's putting in hours and getting paid, really, he's in some ways, he's self-focused. He's just thinking about his job. Am I getting cars off the line? Am I doing the train, taking it, you know, and uh having enough shifts it's almost self-focused mm-hmm. i find 
and so I I grew in appreciation after going to 3M that this is how business, you know, this I actually sales to me. I'm not a salesman, but sales is one of the toughest jobs because uh, mm -hmm. you have to go out and get the business for the company. You have to go and get someone to buy the product that now the laborers are, are going to make. Mm -hmm. And so that actually, especially if people don't want your product, it's one thing if they want your product, it's another thing if they really don't, you have to be a good salesman and then you have to hope that your guys that are making the product have the heart and soul going into the product. Mm -hmm. That's when a business is great. When the both sides work together to have something that somebody wants. Right. And so that's how I see a good business, right? It's a good product and uh, someone out there selling it. Anyways. Yeah, perfect. I'm trying to think whatever else. Oh, on manhood. So my dad on manhood, <laughs> the, uh, so he, we would probably differ because, but I mean, that once he started seeing me do working out, I mean, then you're thinking, okay, my son's working out and he's exercising and you can't not call that it's it's manhood in a different in the sense that he would call manhood manhood mm -hmm. right i mean it may not be that i'm i mean you can be in great shape and then never use it for anything practical yeah. <laughs> to be honest but uh that's what he would have said oh well you got to be practical but um michael but at the same <laughs> time <clears throat> working out is hard it's not easy it's hard work and so you're producing uh, an end product. And so as a man, usually most men appreciate something about that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I just think it's interesting because there's a book I read right over there, um, on the table for the love of men. And it talks a lot about the generations of laborers and men and how it's worked down. And, you know, your dad or grandpa, I guess would be very much that blue collar worker, and then your age is more um, white collar and then you're raising kids, but you were, you still have that blue collar influence. And then there's us or people my age who are much more white collar, very little blue collar, if anything, at least not from my experience. Like uh, we're not, we're from Toronto, so it's not really a manufacturing city anymore. Um, and then there's just so much confusion about how a man is supposed to, to act in today's age. And I know that probably wasn't discussed as much back then, but we're seeing the kind of ramifications or because a lot of men in fifties and above commit suicide. It's the, I think number one um, age group of suicide in especially white men, mm. especially blue collar men. Mm. Um, well, they don't feel like they're accomplishing or contributing anymore. Exactly. Especially if they retire early, <clears throat> they can, my dad used to say he knew men that would retire at 63 or whatever it was and drop dead. Like mm -hmm. even from, as they were engineers or whatever, he'd just say, and here they paid into their pension all these years and never really uh, got the money out of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas my dad lasted 20 years after his, after he finished in 1990, he lived till 2011. So 21 years almost mm -hmm. it was. So he got the benefit of being a man who finished his job, his career and kept enjoying life but n not in work right he uh, ended mm -hmm. up seeing his children and grandchildren and enjoying them quite a bit actually so i think um that was good for him mm -hmm. he left it behind once he was done 40 years i guess he figured he put in his time and now it's you're passing it on to the next generation they're doing it mm -hmm. did grandpa coming from that generation did he ever tell you he was proud of you did he often say that he loved you was that something that he did a lot or or i can't remember my dad ever saying i love you like in my whole lifetime mm -hmm. so that were those weren't words that were used but there's an appreciation i think there was um but it's sort of an expectation you it's like whatever he did for me went on into me. Now he's done. <clears throat> then it's up to me to keep the ball rolling or pass the baton or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And but the assumption is that's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Not oh, you know, I love you. 
whatever going forward it's just uh that's they just pass it on and so i didn't hear that there wasn't really much affirmation but i mean i after 3m i ended up quitting which they were shocked at after 10 years of 3m and then moving to toronto so really you guys <clears throat> if it wasn't me going to toronto to go to seminary then you guys wouldn't have ever grown up there mm -hmm. we would have stayed in london you would have grown up in london and that would be a different experience because london is 300,000 people and very caucasian mm -hmm. pretty much a lot of white collar work there um but it's just uh compared to when I moved to Toronto in 87, 1987, when I, and then go downtown to, um, well, not to go to school, but uh, to work in the summers, it was, it's a, for me, so it's a half a lifetime ago, one, I have two different lifetimes, really. I have one in London that was um, where I, that's my hometown, and then, and upbringing and work and family from there my mom's family really <clears throat> then to move to Toronto and we became our own family really because there was no one else well my wife Trisha's family was there for a while but um, they weren't worried about whether they saw us all that much really um, so we really had our own life in Toronto and that's where you guys were raised into communities that were almost completely not Caucasian. Mm -hmm. So your upbringing was totally different than mine in some sense. But um, I got two sides of life really <clears throat> by leaving London. Mm -hmm. And it broadened all of the rest of my life because we ended up in a Chinese church. And like we're talking completely. So English speaking for the most part, but uh, the cultural difference, even for me, just imagine that, all right, mm -hmm. mine is night and day and, and your mom. So we, we came, we left a completely comfortable life to come to the unknown, <clears throat> completely unknown. And things change even from that over those years. So, uh, I'm not sure what my dad even thought about some of that because it was just hard to imagine for him Yeah, when he'd come to our neighborhood and it was all Chinese, right? My dad was not used to a whole, like we're talking 100%. And yeah. so it was a cultural change that my dad probably went into mass confusion thinking he could never do that. Yeah, He could never do that. So, and I didn't know if I could, right? So it's all new to me. And so... um I'm not, I think they were, him and mom were proud of me, but it's um, you not, ever, not about manhood so much. It's just yeah. about succeeding in life. Really, that's the bigger accomplishment actually is to succeed in life because there's so many elements to life, mm -hmm. right? Do uh, you ever wish she said, I love you or found those words or was it more, did you ever question it? Um. It's hard to say. I mean, it wasn't like I thought he didn't love me, but um, he didn't. He because <clears throat> so here is here's the benefit of the doubt, because his life and and only in the last number twenty years or so have I figured out his life. So what he was raised with. So think about what my dad was raised with. His dad was fifty two when he was born. That means he was an old man when my dad was like a teenager mm -hmm. can you picture your father being like 70 and you're in your teens your father he's mm -hmm. not running around with a baseball bat in his hand or something like this he's an old man and he'd already fought in the first world war and he had whatever it was uh um <clears throat> arthritis from being in the trenches and and all the whatever trauma of and the depression my dad was born one year before the 1929 crash Mm. He was born in 1928. So my grandfather was this older man. He's got this surprise baby. My dad was a surprise. Even my dad told me that. Yeah. So he was raised in not the easiest times. In fact, nothing like... I haven't had it great. Mm -hmm. I've had a great, like, earthly experience life because I've lived in good place, a good place, and I've never had... 
a depression, like a crash or a war, not that close to me, really. I mean, there were possibilities of war, but not really in my lifetime in Canada. So, mm-hmm. but that's, and my dad <clears throat> just missed going to the Second World War because he was like 17, and then it finished. <clears throat> so he fin- fin- the war finished, and my dad was actually wanting to go. Mm-hmm. Like young men wanted to go. And then all of a sudden the war stopped. It was done. And so he never went. So my dad actually was raised in a pretty good time himself. He didn't actually get off to war. He he had the good 50s and, you know, the 50s, 60s. There's some good things happening for them. And so it's just that his dad wasn't probably the best influence on his life in some ways, although he was a builder mm-hmm. and he taught my dad to build. And so that was a good thing. But um, I'm sure he never heard those words, I love you or I care about you or... I miss you or anything like that. So it passes on. And so it would have passed on to me too, right? That I don't do that because my dad didn't do that. But I <clears throat> I am op- more open-minded in a lot of things mm-hmm. and a lot of ways. And and worldly ways are are more interesting these days. There's, I mean, the pressure is on dominant males not to be dominant males, Right. This world isn't about dominating males. And so that's a huge change over the last, you know, four decades or five decades, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So men in general, not all, but men in general have become in some sense much more passive, more than what I remember. And so depends what you call manhood, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in my mind, I don't mind letting your mom do a lot of the work i mean there's elements of work that if she wants to if a woman wants to do it and Mm -hmm. can then i say they can do it and they're i'm not saying should do it but a man doesn't have to feel like no 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 you can't do that yeah and so that for us has been so i don't know if you're going anywhere with into that okay i'll get into that i think that's uh somewhere near the end we'll do the three hour session yeah so uh to follow up on that was it ever hard for you to tell us kids that you loved us and that is it for part one i know i left it on a bit of a cliffhanger but you gotta stick around part two comes this friday where he answers that question we talk a little bit more about fatherhood his relationship with me and a bit more so make sure to tune back in on friday and until then think about what my dad said and i hope you look forward to part two